for John. He had to borrow one of Sarah's shirts tonight to wear. That's why there's so many flowers on there. So, Amen. I get another son-in-law in Saturday. Maybe that'll take some heat off of you, John. I don't know. Uh, probably not, but sure. Sure love you uh, guys, what you're doing for the Lord. Acts chapter 21 is where we're at tonight. Acts chapter 21. We are nearing the end of the book of Acts. If you are, I don't know if you're getting bored of the book yet. I certainly am not. I love the book of Acts and there's so much in it. Uh, This is the 42nd message we've preached out of the book of Acts. And so a lot to go over. But uh, tonight I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life when everything seems to just go wrong? When everything seems to fall apart? Paul's third missionary journey comes to an end at this, in this chapter. Though Paul may not realize it at this time, uh, his uh, thought was to go to Spain after his trip to Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, he's arrested after he is engaged in some unnecessary Old Testament purification rites we're going to look at in a minute. Uh, but this chapter is the last record of Paul in Scripture as a free man. And so we'll look at some of the things here this evening when Paul had a really really bad week. Uh, Look with me, if you would, uh, chapter 21, verse number 17. The Bible says, And when they were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the day following Paul went in with us into James, and all the elders were present. When he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say unto thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that they which thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing save only that they keep themselves from doing things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Remember, that was kind of an agreement they made with the Gentiles. Abstain from these things, but yet that wasn't satisfactory to them, although they still list them here. Verse 26, Then Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. When the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law, and this place and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. We'll read a few more verses in a moment, and uh, we'll see uh, just step after step after step how things turn very unfortunate for Paul here. But I want to speak tonight for a few minutes on a really, really bad week, or when everything falls apart. Father, we pray you'd help us in these few minutes we have together as we look at this passage, and as we unpack what you have for us, Lord, may you use it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the we passages that begins in verse 1 again, this means that Luke has rejoined the team for the trip to Jerusalem. The ship that they boarded in Troas now continues from Miletus to the city of Patara. There they change to a grain ship (coughs) that is sailing east. 
The ship then goes uh, to Tyre, the coast of Syria, to unload its cargo, uh, which took seven days. And they spent those seven days staying in the homes of Tyre and uh, of Christians in Tyre. And uh, they, there may have been some there that would remember uh, when Jesus was there. Remember the story of the uh, Syrophoenician woman that Jesus had healed there in Mark 7. And so there might be people that even remembered him from that time uh, that uh, remembered Jesus that Paul spoke to. Others when, uh, would be there from the expanding ministry of the church that was reached there in Acts 11:19. Probably there was a developed church in Tyre that Paul could visit. And then in verse 4 it said, Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. These are the folks in uh, this area that are telling Paul, the Spirit is telling us you should not go to Jerusalem. Now it seemed clear to them that Paul's going to Jerusalem was not in the will of God. This is interesting because earlier in chapter 20, verse 23, the Spirit warned him not to stay away from Jerusalem. Rather than that, just that if he went, that he would suffer bonds and afflictions, and that's what would await him. seems according to chapter 21, verse 13, that Paul took the Spirit's warning in chapter number 20 that he should go willingly. I think the best way to understand this verse, because some look at it as a contradiction in Scripture. Here the Spirit says he should go. There the Spirit through them says he shouldn't. I think the best way to understand this is that in verse 4, the Spirit probably warned those believers of the hardships that awaited Paul, and they interpreted it to mean that he should not go there. Uh, but he did. And uh, we read what happened once he got there. To understand what happens here, we need to go back and just give a little background information. There were false rumors that Paul was encouraging all Christians, Jewish Christians, to not follow the Old Testament law. Now, the truth was that it, as long as they understood that following the law was not tied to salvation, they could do whatever they wanted as long as they, they wouldn't make the law a part of salvation. Uh, as long as the Gentiles were not expected to follow ceremonial aspects of the law, like circumcision. Paul didn't care if the Jews continued in the law or not, as long as you don't claim the law is what's saving you, understand. I mean, I can say tonight, I would never, but I could say, I'm not going to eat bacon anymore, because that's what the law says I shouldn't do. That's fine, as long as I don't claim that's what's taking me to heaven, you understand. So, this is what Paul was teaching. He did care deeply about the rift between the Jewish and Gentile believers. He did everything he could not to offend the Jews, and he even at times extended an olive branch to them. When there was a famine in Jerusalem, he challenged all the churches that he founded to give sacrificially to help. He had collected a large offering to help those needy in Jerusalem. And now here in Acts chapter 21, Paul has come to Jerusalem to give that gift to the Jerusalem church and to report his work among the Gentiles. We picked it up here. Uh, let's look at verse 18 and 19 again. And the day following, Paul went in with us into James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So Paul told them of all that the Lord has accomplished through his ministry to the Gentiles. He details his experiences. He, the elders are brought face to face with some of the Gentile believers which were the fruit of Paul's labors in these distant lands. He would introduce to them his beloved friend, the physician, Dr. Luke, which is, wrote the book of Acts. He's in this meeting as we saw a moment ago. 
<coughs> he would tell them about the friendship between him and Luke. Then he would introduce Titus and uh, then some of the other brothers from the, 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 some of the believers from Macedonia there. These would be representatives of churches that contributed so generously in the offering that they now brought for Jerusalem. Now, this would have been a great missionary report, wouldn't it? I love when we have missionaries come back after they've been gone a few years and they report all that's happening and all that's, that they're accomplishing on the field. Paul's missionary report would be some missionary report, wouldn't it? And he tells them all about what God did. Thousands of people that were saved. And anybody who has any desire to see people saved or to see God do a work would be very inspired to hear this. It's important for us to realize that. What stories Paul would be telling. Stories about prison and persecution. Stories about standing on Mars Hill and preaching the gospel to a bunch of philosophical knotheads. And uh, get, being able to hold his own with them. Uh, stories of the miracles and the mighty movements of the Spirit. Never had the Jerusalem Christians heard the light. Now, I've learned in ministry that you can tell a lot about the heart of a Christian and how they react to news. Tell somebody some kind of good news and you can tell by their reaction just where their heart's at. And we're going to see that in this passage here. What would they respond? How would they respond to Paul? Years ago, I was uh, a youth pastor for, for quite a few years, and, and uh, it was just first after I first came uh, to this church that I was serving at at that time, and uh, we had a youth activity. It was one of the first ones I had in that church, and it was a good time. We had a great, had a bunch of kids out, and did, had a bunch of games, and did some preaching, and, and I was talking to a deacon the next day, and I was telling him about this youth activity. We had a great youth activity. I said, one got saved last night. We had a young person saved, and he, he was kind of had this sour expression on his face. He says, that's great and all, but you left the lights on in the gym. And it just, it grieved me a little bit in my heart. Yeah, I, I shouldn't leave the lights on, but that shouldn't, that wasn't the primary focus of, I said, somebody got saved. Amen. I'll leave the lights on for somebody to get saved. But you understand what I'm saying? Uh, a lot of times people will look past what God's doing and look at some kind of nitpicking little issue and look at the reception they got. Here, verse number 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Yeah, I would think. I mean, look at all that Paul's talking about. All these people that got saved. Then there's the next word. And. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. This little word, and, ruins the whole situation. It's the key to where their heart's at. Of course, they glorified God. You'd have to be a stone not to glorify God, hearing what Paul's talking about, and how many people are getting saved. You'd have to be some kind of heathen or a really hard-hearted Christian not to be excited by news like that. Revival fires burning all over the world and Gentile nations and a man that's so mightily used by God. But that word and spoils it all. It links us to what follows. No sooner had they gotten the niceties out of the way. Well, praise the Lord, brother. But, they said, then they launched into an attack of Paul's methods. They are ridiculously obsessed with rites and rituals and forms and ceremonies and that always got in the way of evangelism. 
can I say it still gets in the way of evangelism if we allow it to? Even things in the church that are not bad things, sometimes we have to be flexible in ministering to people. It's the bane of every pastor's heart to hear the words, we've never done it that way before, and, we, and yet we hear that all the time. Uh, so what? We can try new things. When the rubber met the road, we find out these guys weren't interested in evangelism at all. They were much more concerned about their rites and rituals and their uh, traditions. They turned from this thrilling story of Paul's missionary success to criticism that Paul neglected some of their petty religious rules. It's amazing. What a slap in the face. Here's what they essentially said. Thousands saved in Asia among the Gentiles? That's nothing. We've had thousands saved right here in this town, and unlike your disciples, they're zealous about the law. That's what they're saying in this verse. Imagine how Paul must have felt. He's done everything we can. We've been talking about it all throughout the book of Acts. He's done everything he can to mend the fences with these Jewish believers, the Judaizers. He's taken up a great deal of money to help the needy in Jerusalem. He's just reported on the amazing works of God through his ministry. They don't one time even mention the sacrificial gift that Paul comes bearing here. There's no gratefulness in their heart uh, for the sacrifice of these churches that they're now putting down, nor Paul's part in it. They vilified Paul's work, and they vilified his ministry. They criticized him because he didn't dot his I's like they do or cross his T's the way that they did just right. And I find it reprehensible. It fires me up on the behalf of Paul. May I remind you that here at Bible Baptist Church, I always hope to keep the main thing the main thing. Not to worry about things that don't matter. We've got an intern here with us this summer. And you know what's going to happen? I can tell you, not because I can tell the future, but uh, just because I've been there, he's going to mess up. Sorry. He's going to make mistakes here and there. He's going to do things that maybe are a little outside what you think or what I think should exactly be done. Uh, and, and he's going to make those mistakes. And I, I've sat where he is, and, and, of course, we've had John for a while. So we understand all kinds of mistakes that can be made. Uh, so we have a history. And, uh, but we all do, amen? I'm going to make I make them still. I've told you the, the, from the beginning that don't put any faith in me in not making mistakes because I will. We all do. So what's the answer? We focus on the fact that in the course of all that's happening, that he's going to be pumping the word of God into young people who so desperately need it. We can take some of the other things that don't matter. Amen. When I see in a church what's happening in this passage, I've got to be honest with you, it, it'll, it makes my blood boil. The very first church I ser served in for a very short time, straight out of Bible college, we, 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 drove, we moved from Shelby, North Carolina to Howell, Michigan. And uh, I served in a church there uh, as a layman. I, they couldn't afford to put, well, they could, but they didn't at that time want to put a youth pastor on, so they didn't have anybody. And I said, I'll come in and work. I was just willing to get involved in any way I could. They were a kind of a sophisticated church, a lot of wealthy people, a little bit of a high society attitude in there. I was full of spit and vinegar on fire for God. And I was also young and dumb, like, well, nobody that we have here tonight, but I was young and dumb. And they had no teenagers. 
They had, I think they had one teenager in the church. They didn't have any youth group. And so I reached out to one public school kid who started, who brought a friend, and then they brought some friends, and we started to build a youth group. And I started having more and more come on Wednesday night. I started to have some activities. Kids started getting saved. And I told the pastor that I wanted to do an activity on, on a Friday night, and uh, I wanted to get pizza for the kids. No, he says, the uh, church isn't paying for that. If you want to get pizza, then you can have the kids pay for it. Thought, well, okay, and so we put a charge on the activity so we could pay for it. At that activity, one of the kids, uh, you know, we were doing some games and horsing around like you do at youth activities, and one of the kids uh, hit his head on the wall, one of the drywalls, put a little dent in, in uh, one of the walls and, and damaged the drywall a little bit. And uh, the, our, my pastor in that church totally shut the youth group down. He said, no more young people. We aren't bringing them in. Uh, they cause destruction. We don't want to have any in those type, those type of kids, you know, public school kids, the unruly ones. We don't want to have any of that in my, our church here anymore. Needless to say, I didn't last there very long. But that is reprehensible, in my opinion. By the way, you guys know Tim Christensen on the West Coast? He's pastoring there now. They don't think that way now, praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, that church is going forward for the Lord now. I'm simply saying we're not here to protect a building. We're here to build and invest in lives. And uh, I can tell you because my son Micah and I spent about five hours uh, several times already as we waxed the gym floor. And I still get the shakes inside when I go to the gym floor and see all those black marks from kids who play in there and shouldn't do it in their dress shoes, but do it anyway. Uh, so... I get uh, see the black marks, but you know what? That's okay. We're not here for nice gym floors. We're here to invest in kids' lives, amen? If we've got to go through some black marks to do it, so be it. Uh, we have to keep our priorities right. And this attitude that's going on in this chapter by these people, this is sick. This is wrong, and no Christian should think this way. Yeah, yeah, people are getting saved, but they're not obeying our laws like we wish they would. Ridiculous. That wasn't the only thing that went wrong for Paul. Verse 23 and 20, uh, through 25, they came up with a scheme for Paul to satisfy the legalists in their midst. He would go through a Jewish ceremony with four other Jewish men in the temple. This ceremony, or the purpose of this scheme here that they had, <coughs> was to show that Paul was a pro-Judaistic Christian. Now, Paul, I believe with all my heart, knew that even though this is silly, he's trying to be conciliatory. He's trying to appease them a little bit. It's, it, he doesn't need to do this. And yet, uh, Paul himself had taken a vow in Centuria in chapter 18, verse 18. He had shaved his head, indicating that his vow was over. Now, vows are not a part of New Testament Christianity. They are Jewish in their character. We rarely find them mentioned in the New Testament, never in the epistles. The fact that Paul would take a vow does not mean that that's uh, recommended for Christians. This is a Jewish thing more than a Gentile thing. Paul was a Jew, remember, as well as a Christian, and he lived in a very transitional period. Now, the church in that time was struggling to get out of their Jewish cocoon that they were in, and Paul would do anything short of his convictions concerning the gospel. Uh, he wouldn't compromise his convictions, but he agreed to go along with this. This appeal, I don't believe, violated a, a, a constitute a violation of Paul's principles. I don't think Paul would have asked any Gentile Christian to do what he did. But I, the way I read this in context, I think he thought, 
There's nothing wrong with making this goodwill gesture here toward the other Jewish believers. He was in a very difficult situation. So in hopes of bridging the gap of misunderstanding, he went through with it. Now, let me ask you, did it do any good? Nope. You know, it rarely does any good to try to do anything to satisfy the whims of a carnal Christian. It rarely does any good. And, and pastors do it all the time. Church folks do it all the time because we're nice. We're trying to uh, work with people. But if you have a carnal Christian on one side that makes a bunch of demands, appeasing those demands very rarely resolves the situation. It often makes it, or usually make it worse. If they're mad at you, you can't appease somebody who's bitter by making concessions. Now, look at read verse number 27 through 29. Uh, I think we stopped there, so let me read it. When the seven days were ended, almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, well, we read that, 27 and 28, uh, they claimed here what's happening is that, uh, by the way, this is a misunderstanding here, what's happening. Paul is 100% misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? You do something and the way that you do it or what you said or how you did it gets totally taken wrong by somebody else, that is a terrible feeling. When somebody takes what you said or what you did and misrepresents it, this is what's happening to Paul. I think we've all experienced it, so we understand how Paul must have felt here. He had gone to all this trouble to try to placate the Jewish believers and uh, thinking, okay, now I'll do this. Now we can move forward, get along with each other, love one another, and make it about the gospel. When you've got carnally minded people, that's not how it works. Some people recognize Paul coming out of the temple with these four men. They had seen Paul with some Gentiles earlier. And so now they jump to the conclusion that the four men that came out with Paul are the same Gentiles that they had seen with them, him before. Uh, by the way, this is a big deal because taking Gentiles into the inner court <coughs> was strictly, strictly forbidden. So that's what's happening here in verse 28. Uh, he brought Greeks into the temple, verse 29, for they had seen before with him in the city of Trophimus in, in Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So it was a total misunderstanding. They made an assumption. They got all fired up, and they started to raise a mob about, uh, about this. Picture Paul again as the mobs forming. This just isn't my week. <laughs> he can't get anything right here. Unfortunately, the worst is still to come. Verse number 30. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. So, instead of getting, uh, what's happening here is that the mob takes him, they're beating on him, a Roman captain hears what's going on about the disturbance, he sends some soldiers to see what's going on, as they arrive, the people beating on Paul split, they run, probably know that they're, what they're doing is garbage, and so they take off, and when they run away, Paul probably, thank goodness, now, now maybe things will start going better and right. No, no. Instead of arresting the perpetrators of the beating, they arrested the victim. They arrested Paul, verse 33. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Could this get any worse? Now Paul 
is not only is he arrested for a crime that he didn't commit, he suddenly found, finds out next, now he's a victim of mistaken identity. You think identity thief is, uh, thieving is identity, uh, what's it called when they steal your identity? Yeah, identity theft. You think that's a new thing? Uh, it's happened right here. Look at verse 37. As Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not the Egyptian which before those days made us an uproar and leadest out the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? Remember when Paul did that? Led 4,000 murderers out of the wilderness? No. Mistaken identity. Paul said, I'm a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech ye suffer me to speak unto the people. Wow. Paul's going through some stuff, isn't he? You ever had a day like this? A week like this? When you can't, nothing turns out right? You think you're finally at the turning point and then it just gets worse? It just piles on? What are some lessons we can take from Paul's bad week? Number one, don't let the failures of Christians hinder your spiritual growth. Don't let the failures of other Christians hinder you. It doesn't have to. Just because somebody else is a spiritual knucklehead doesn't mean that you have to be affected in your Christian life. I try to imagine how I would have responded to the kind of response that Paul got. If I had done all that Paul did to accommodate and help the Jewish believers only to be rebuffed and to be treated the way he was treated, how would, I, how would you have responded? Yet, if you read the rest of the book of Acts and you search for Paul's bitterness, you'll, you'll be in vain trying to find it. You don't find it. Paul never talks about any kind of anger or bitterness or revenge. To me, this is nothing short of amazing. Later, Paul was sent to Rome as a prisoner. Instead of being gladly received by the brethren there, for the most part, he was shunned when he got there. According to the book of Philippians, they soon started writing Twitter posts about him, lies and putting things on Facebook that weren't true about Paul, trying to undermine his authority. Yet when you read the book of Philippians, what's the theme of the book? Rejoicing. Joy. Paul's not letting him get this, you're not letting them get him down. Listen, friends, don't let the failures of other Christians hinder you. There's going to be people that misunderstand you. There's going to be people that uh, they, they misrepresent you. Don't let that take you down. How was Paul able to be effect, unaffected by the failure of other Christians? First of all, Paul was not preoccupied with people, but he was preoccupied with the promotion of the gospel. That's a big one. Paul was not preoccupied with people, but with the promotion of the gospel. People pleasers are eternally in... Uh, it's, it's nothing but a bunch of stress, people who try to be people pleasers. You cannot please all of the people all of the time. This morning, I had one person tell me that it's roasting in here. As I was, I was roasting in here. It, it was just, and then another, it's so cold. You keep it so cold in here. You can't please everybody all the time, all right? No matter what you do, you just can't please anybody all the time. During COVID, uh, you know this. I mean, you, you know enough uh, about 
different things that people have heard through churches, but I would get a call right after each other. You better never close the doors. You better shut those doors down. I mean, all kinds of input. You, just, you can't please people. We lost some people because we kept our doors open. We gained some people because we kept our doors open. You can't please everybody all of the time. And so Paul wasn't preoccupied with people. He was preoccupied with the promotion of the gospel. In Philippians 1.18, he's writing from his cell in Rome, and he considers his situation. He says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein I do rejoice, and yea, and will rejoice. He, he's, look, there's pretense, there's rumors, there's attacks, but it is in the preaching of Christ that I'm going to rejoice. That's how he could. He didn't care if Christian preachers uh, lied about him or told the truth about him, as long as the gospel went forth. When a person or a church, don't, let, don't miss this point here, when a person or a church becomes focused on self and personal feelings instead of evangelism, that is when you'll have strife, you'll have disagreements, and you'll have relationship problems when the focus turns in. Every person really that we've ever had any issues with in churches or, or any kind of relationship issues, the problem starts when it's how I'm treated, how, I, how they talk to me, and, it, and the, inward, the focus turns inward. We've got to keep the focus about getting the gospel out and then how we're treated isn't, is going to take second as it did for Paul. The best weapon, the best weapon in any church against discord is the promotion of the gospel. I'm not... I mean, it isn't meetings, it isn't kumbaya moments, it is just the promotion of the gospel is the best defense against discord. Secondly, Paul focused not on Christians, but on Christ. He said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He put his focus not on Christians, but on Christ. You know how important focus is. Let me, let me just illustrate. I think I have, you, you've used your camera phone, I'm assuming, before. Most of you have a camera phone now. Who carries a, a camera around anymore? Nobody, because these are better than most of those, so uh, we use a camera phone. If I'm going to put my <coughs> phone right here, I can do two things. I can touch, uh, I see Jeremy's face. If I touch his face on the screen, this water bottle becomes blurry. You know what I'm talking about? You've done this before? If I touch the water bottle on the screen, I just found out Jeremy actually looks better when he's blurry. Jeremy turns blurry. See what happens in your Christian life? When you focus on Christ, all this other garbage becomes blurry. When you focus on this other garbage, Christ becomes blurry. Then it no longer is about Christ anymore. Now it's about everything else that's going on. Listen, we have got to get our focus right. And Paul's focus was right where it needed to be. It was on Christ. It was on the gospel. It wasn't on what was going on. That's how this horrible thing could happen to him. That's how he could have this horrible day and move beyond it and rejoice in the Lord because he was all about the gospel. This is true in your Christian life. If you focus on people and your problem and their faults and their failures, Jesus will get out of focus on your, in your life. If you focus on Jesus and live just to please him and let him become your source of joy, then people and all their foibles are going to just get fuzzy. Not going to worry about him so much. As Paul sat in a Jerusalem prison, reviewing his bad week, 
He had no idea what God was up to. Until that time, Paul had been preaching in the Greek provinces. But the center of all power was where? Rome. That's where the center of everything was. Remember the saying, all, leads, all roads lead to Rome? Because Rome was the center of everything. What an opportunity if a gospel station could be organized in the center of the civilized world. From there, the gospel could go out and, and to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. Well, God was working things out for Paul to receive a free, all-expense-paid trip to Rome. Uh, not the way that he would have liked to go, but he went anyway. He wouldn't go the way that he had planned to go, but God had a bigger plan. Paul had long waited to go and preach to the church that was already established in Rome. He said in Romans 1.13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto or hindered, is what that word means. Could not go. But now he was going to go, not as a preacher primarily, but as a prisoner. Now that may seem unfortunate, but it, it was actually a good thing. Here's why. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, here it is, have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. So there's Paul again. I don't care what happens to me if the gospel gets further. That's where his focus was. So that he goes on, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, listen to this, in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He has a palace ministry, Paul does, because he's in prison. Paul said that his bondage was well known in all the palace. Scholars tell us that Paul, because of his case and his position, was imprisoned in Caesar's own palace. And Paul began to witness, and pretty soon, the Bible tells us he had a band of believers right smack dab in the middle of Caesar's palace. You couldn't make that happen on your own. God did that. Oh, listen, friend, if we only knew what God is trying to do through the troubles and trials of our life, we wouldn't complain so much when we go through it. If we would have our focus on the right thing. You see what I'm trying to show you tonight? When you have a bad week, a bad day, a bad experience, a bad relationship, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Hold your head up. Keep going forward. Keep your focus on the Lord, not on people. Keep your focus on the gospel, not on problems. And uh, all you see, remember, is just one little piece of the puzzle. God sees the whole picture. You just see a little bit of it. And so trust Him. So when you have a bad week, or a bad experience. Remember these three things. Don't get your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Secondly, remember that God has a larger purpose for your life and often helps you achieve them through your troubles and your trials. Cooperate with Him. Remain faithful. Don't quit. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't resist God's working in your life. Just trust Him. Trust Him. He'll get the job done. You just keep your focus right. So, that's Paul's bad week. i got to admit, when I was reading this and starting to study this chapter, uh, I was getting a little bit of, I was getting a little mad. I mean, just be right, right out honest with you. I'm seeing, I was like, these these people, 
you know, we've been looking at all Paul's doing. What kind of jokers is he? You know, you want him to start throwing fists or something. And he never defends himself. He never gets bitter about it. And it's a good reminder to us. Because you know what's going to happen to us? Inevitably. People are going to throw resistance our way. Brother Nick, I'm telling you, you're, you're brand new getting into ministry. Uh, not everybody is going to say, thank you. Not everybody's going to, what is uh, Pastor Stowe, pats and pies last year. He always talked about, you know, every preacher wants pats and pies, pats on the back and pies. I'll take, I'd rather have pies, I'll take pats too, amen. But it's not always pats and pies. Sometimes it's criticizing and different things. We keep our eyes on him and let everything else blur out, amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the passage. Thank you for what we can learn.